0: We, we still have been in, in, in this particular chapter where we're talking about this idea of the strong bearing with the weaknesses of the weak. We looked at that a couple weeks ago, last week as well. And this idea of let each of us please his neighbor for his good uh, and leading to building up, leading to edification. Uh, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, and this is out of psalm sixty nine the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that through the patience and comfort of the scriptures we might have hope and and then in uh in verses seven and all the way through thirteen he it it reads as if he's talking more to the Jews in the church than he's talking to the Gentiles. Either that, or he's just making specific statements about his own ministry, and the ministry of uh, that that of of God reaching out to the Gentiles. And he 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 begins in eight, where he talks about uh, now I say Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. And of course, who is he talking about here? He's talking about the Jews, right? And that. Uh, Jesus Christ came as a servant to the Jews uh, for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers. The, and so it's really wrapped up in this idea of the covenant. Or you could say covenants. Uh, but particularly, for my mind, the covenant that God made with Abraham, an unconditional covenant that God made, makes it again with... Uh, Isaac makes it again with Jacob. You, you could say he confirms that original covenant with them because they were the line through which the promise was given. Makes it again later with David. Uh, makes it again later. Now, granted, I'm skipping a few covenants, if you, you may or may not have noticed. And the reason why I'm skipping the like covenant with Moses, um, covenant with Noah, uh, of course, Noah was before Abraham, but those those covenants were conditional, uh, although you could make a case that the covenant with Noah wasn't. But it, the, the covenant with Noah wasn't so much um, pertaining to salvation. It had to do with the destruction of the earth. And so um, lastly, he makes the covenant or prophesies the covenant prophesies about the covenant uh, through the prophet Jeremiah in the book of Jeremiah um, instituted, I believe by Jesus at the last Passover meal. And so he uses the whole Passover setting to establish the new covenant. Um, and so, um, so because of the promise that God, that God made to the fathers, Jesus comes as a servant to, to the Jews But then that the the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And then he he, he quotes these uh, four passages in the Old Testament. I even thought about looking at Isaiah chapter 11, which is Isaiah 11 verse 1, Isaiah 11 verse 10. He kind of brings those two verses somewhat together, doesn't quote them. Completely, It's also from the Septuagint, so it's kind of hard to go back and trace it in our Old Testament. But it's Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, and Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. So, in uh, how uh, there shall be a root of Jesse. It's an incredible prophecy. Who's Jesse, by the way? David's father. Okay. So he's part of what? The messianic line, exactly, the lineage, yeah. Um, So there'll be a root of Jesse. It's a very interesting prophecy. Uh, Who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles and in him, in who? Who is the him here? It's Jesus. It's not Jesse. Uh, Technically, you could say the sentence structure is the him here is the root. Um, In him, the Gentiles shall have hope. Uh, Now may the God of hope Fill you with all joy, peace, in believing, and that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is very, very important. I, touch, I, gosh, I, I went over on Sunday, didn't I? It was like, all of a sudden I'm looking at the clock, going, I got a shot, <laughs> you know. But anyway, so I apologize for that. But uh, anyway, so important is that not only that we abound in hope, but we abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the work of the holy spirit in our in our lives uh and how he ministers to us on a very really a direct and personal way and and i've talked to people who they tell me the holy spirit has led them to do this or that i'm being general on purpose and sometimes the this or the that doesn't really line up with what I believe the scripture would say. And, and so you have to be careful, I think, with that type of subjectivity. But I also think it's important. And so if we have a, sub, a faith that is both objective and subjective, Subjective being that it's basically based on your own personal experience. That's what I'm really referring to. You, you have to be careful with that. Um, because I've had people who, based on their own little experience between them and God, have come up with some of the worst doctrines and some of the worst ideas. Um, I, think, I think that's how we ended up with Mormonism. And the watchtower is somebody just they, they you know be, the, the there's an important thing about being checked by the community of faith and running things by the community of faith and and being being accountable to the uh community of faith, but nonetheless, I think the subjective work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is very personal and Unless it's something that really conflicts with the Bible, if someone tells me that the Spirit says X, Y, Z, well, God bless you. I hope you're right. Now, but not every impulse we have is the Holy Spirit. You you understand that, right? (laughs) Some of you are... (laughs) I mean, I had, you know, and I've shared this, it's been a while, so, but I, I, you know, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt when I was 17, God called me to the ministry, I didn't want to be a pastor, I just thought, I'd, I'd rather do anything else, and I had that really confirmed by a pastor, who, my pastor, who says, if you can do anything else and be happy, do it, and I went, Cool. And all God's people said, amen. <laughs> anyway, so, and and that didn't work. My 20s were a train wreck. And so in, in my early 30s, God calls me a second time. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And so then he made me wait like almost nine years between that time I knew I was called that second time and to a time that a, a real door opened up. And... It was a very um, purging process, really, for both of us, uh, probably more for me because I needed more than Mary did. I, but, but it was a very purging process. But during that, n- nine years is like an eternity for me. I don't know. I mean, I look back on the last nine years, and that seemed like it happened like that. I look back on my next nine years, and I'm thinking, ooh, that'll take forever, right? Um, but I had a lot of thoughts of what I thought the Spirit was doing in my life. And maybe the Spirit is opening a door here. Maybe the Spirit is opening a door for me there. Or maybe God is leading me in this direction. Or maybe God has leading me in that direction. And I thank God, the creator of heaven and earth, that I didn't act on every impulse. Because had I done so, <laughs> It would have probably been a train wreck. And um and so I believed the spirit was speaking. I think there were times it wasn't the spirit speaking. I think it was the enchilada the night before. But I had I, I spent time in and and searched it out and and tried to discern it out, and tried to weigh it out, and see if I, if, if I had the desire, if I had, if there was an open door, uh, and I had a peace about it, those three things that I, that I look at and I weigh about whether it's the leading of the Spirit, because I believe it's, if it's the leading of the Spirit, all three, a peace, an open door, and a desire. And if you don't have all three, I would say don't do it. But that's, that's my take on it. That's a very short study from... Um, uh, anyway on, on the idea of discerning the will of God and but nonetheless that we may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit I and mean, we, we talked about this even a little bit this evening just the angst of things are the way things are politically and just how tenuous, I guess you could say, everything is. And, and to, to, to really have a sense of hope that's not just good old-fashioned optimism. Right? Because I think good old-fashioned optimism. I don't even know if, is optimism old-fashioned? Uh, I don't know. It, it, it just, the idea came to me. But just this idea of human optimism. Because I think human optimism—that's better than the good old fashioned, right? Because I'm speaking to a young crowd here. So anyway, uh, optimism comes and goes, doesn't it? It really does. And if you want your optimism to take a Noah's dive, turn on the evening news. And I do. I, I I've gotten to where, well. I've gotten to where I watch a half an hour of local and a half hour of national, and most of the time I fall asleep during both. Of, and it's, it's you know the dog is on the couch with me, and I've got the remote so I can I can go back and watch the weather again, because that's really the only thing that I'm really interested in anyway. But um, there is plenty to be discouraged about, I think, and so you have to you have to ask the Holy Spirit to to uh, to give you, um, may the God of of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing, that is in trusting, knowing that that um, in spite of what we see and in spite of the the uh, concerns and the uh, just you know. So I, I think at times I look at things i 'm almost in disbelief because it 's like twenty years ago it wasn 't this way, forty years ago it really wasn 't this way you know and and to see how everything is accelerated and just uh, to me just the weirdness of it all, but nonetheless to have have uh, a true god given hope by the power of the holy spirit i wasn 't planning on going here, but we're here, um, and so because I think about Paul as he's writing this letter, he's not in Rome, but he's he's you know he's talked about taking care of the weaker brother. He's talked about uh, not flaunting your liberty. I mean, going back into chapter fourteen with this whole idea about eating meat, and and those who are um, mature eat can eat the meat. Those who are weak, remember this back the first part of chapter fourteen. Those who are weak eat vegetables only. Why was that the case? We speculated didn't we, Brian? But the scripture did not tell us the passage does not tell us why those were that was the case, right? We talked about that quite a bit, so it's pretty vague, and I mentioned it before it's I think it's vague on purpose because there are multiple applications, I think out of Romans chapter fourteen and fifteen that we really need to attempt to try to take to heart when we have a group of people coming together and some of us feel very um free to do many things whereas some do not feel the same freedom and and so the, uh, it's it Paul touches on this idea um Tim could you do me a favor please could you plug that? I just saw that. Thank you. All right. All right. So um, where the, the weaker and the, and I hate these terms, but the weaker and the stronger are, are called to mutually respect each other. But really, the if you look at this, he keeps going back to the stronger, making concessions for the weaker. He keeps doing that. Um, he so starts it all over again at the beginning of chapter 15. So, um, so he, he's dealing with this and, you know, it's like what I said on Sunday when I, when I talked about the, the, the trials of life and, 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 and knowing that we have the hope of God and it's very easy to talk about the hope of God on a Sunday morning and to to tap into that source because we're here we've set aside our entire life to sit here and hopefully hopefully you hear from God when we come together it's very it, it's easy to talk about that on a sunday morning it's sometimes very difficult to live that on a tuesday afternoon when you want to pull every living last last clump of hair out of your head right uh, i have plenty of hair by the way i just shave it all no i'm kidding anyway but um but, I mean, it, it, and so, I, I think Paul was, was, was wrestling with this because he goes back and he says in verse 14, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren. So, he, he's in, again, he's reaffirming. Now, he's starting to finish up this letter here. All right? He's starting to finish up the letter. And he says, I am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are all... all Excuse me, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish. There's another one of those words that we don't use a whole lot, kind of like scruples. Um, admonish in the ESV says instruct, right, Cindy? I got it right. Okay, it, it, so, so that you are filled with uh, goodness, all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So that's what I want to, really kind of what I want to look at and pretty much spend a fair amount of time with tonight. He says that he's confident. Um, He's using a verb that's in the perfect tense. Now remember a perfect tense verb in the Greek is an action that's been completed. It occurred in the past, but... Uh, it produces a state of being or it, 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 you have a situation now that's a result of what you did in the past. For example, you could say when Mike came in the building, Mike set the thermostat. Actually, Mike forgot to, but anyway, Mike set the thermostat. So if it's comfortable in here, it's because of what I did in the past. Or if you're too hot or too cold, it's still because of what I did in the past. You see what how this is how this works as far as uh, the the word that's being used here, where he says that I am uh, I'm confident, um, and what he's basically saying here is based on what God has done for you. Now, when did God do anything for you or them? In the past, what? From the Boy, you could take it from the beginning, couldn't you? Well, I'm reading out of John and reading some interesting commentaries about the idea of the beginning and that whole in the you know and, and comparing it with Genesis chapter one. this is a side trip. I don't know why I'm going here, but it's your fault but but this idea of where, where uh, in the beginning was the word. It's not talking about, it's talking about, it's a reference to eternity. It's what it really is. It's a reference to eternity past. It's not talking about, boom, right here, all of a sudden time began, which I think, and this is how the ancients viewed this, the, the early fathers viewed this, uh, which I find fascinating. I'm leaning more toward John next, as you can probably tell, where uh, I started reading and studying it more, but... Um, Based on what God has done for you in the beginning, based on what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross, which, yes, I'm assuming we all have trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, right? Based on what Jesus has done on the cross. But none of us were there, right? But we had to believe in order to receive and, and so that incredible act of sacrifice, That uh, this, really this takes us back to um, earlier in this chapter where it, it said that, that Christ uh, did not, verse 3, for even Christ did not please himself. So that which God, the Lord Jesus Christ, did for us on the cross... Informs who we are every single day. I mean, that's pretty academic, isn't it? But I think it's I think it's also something that that's important for us to remember that we our lives are such and are formed in the way that they are formed because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And really, to go back and really, really, I think develop a, more of a more of a a deeper understanding of the the whole idea of what Jesus did for us on the cross. But but in the language here, the grammatical use here is uh, essentially what Paul is saying is based on what God has done for you, your present situation is this way. Uh, And so based on what God has done for you, in other words, I'm confident concerning you, brethren, you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish or instruct one another. Um, So what does that mean? And, well, also that sun came out behind a cloud, didn't it? Okay. Three words here that I want to look at. And I don't know, I'm kind of, this is some of my, my own opinion, all right? Your knowledge may vary on some of this. Because as I looked at this, the first thing that kind of leaped out to me was that before we're able to instruct, and we can talk a little bit about what that means, or to admonish, we should be full of goodness and filled with all knowledge. But I'll I'll, I'll get back to that in a minute. and And I'm not talking about just... I'm definitely not talking about just what I do as far as instructing. Do you instruct others at times? Do any of you ever instruct me at times? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, what was so funny about (laughs) anyway? Um, yeah, don't drink out of the Italian sweet cream. Um, where it says to be full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish. So it's moral, it's intellectual, and it's functional. Moral is goodness. Intellectual is complete in knowledge. And functional is competent to instruct one another. That's from the ESV, right? I think that's how it is word for word. So this word goodness refers to a positive moral quality. Uh, uh, And what I found interesting as I dug through this word, it fits really well within the context of chapter 14 and chapter 15. Remember, you strong people who eat meat, you're supposed to bear with those who don't. All right. It also refers to this idea of an interest in the welfare of others, which surprised me. So he's using Paul here is using a rather specific term: some moral quality characterized by an interest in the welfare of others, not just moral for more mor- morality's sake. Is there anything wrong with moral, moral, for morality's sake? I think it can be called all kind. It can, it can lead to all kinds of issues. That's one. That's one. We have different scales. Um. If my morality is just based on me being a moral person. I can start to think really well of myself. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of a, a, a dealing with it in a little bit of a general sense because, because if I'm striving to be moral, it's almost, what is that, Frosty the Snowman? Is that the song? So be good for goodness' sake. Oh no, that's you better watch that. Not Christ. Santa Claus coming to town. Okay. Anyway, I get him confused. So, so be good for goodness' sake. Of course, it's 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 a slang. I always I always interpret as a kid. I always interpret it being good for the sake of goodness. You know, being moral for the sake of being moral. Uh, yes, there's benefit to it, but there's also a danger to it. I think in. That we can become very prideful. The Pharisees, were they moral? I think they were very moral, at least on the outside. What did Jesus say about them in Matthew 23? He said, You're like whitewashed sepulchres. You're nice and clean on the outside, but on the inside, what? You're full of dead man's bones. I think it's Matthew 23. What? I'm having trouble hearing you. Close, Close. okay. Thanks. (laughs) So you tell him, he'll tell me. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Okay. And you did, yeah. So, so, but I think I think when we take again, I think this really dovetails. If we start to think about this, this dovetails into a little bit what we were talking about. Just briefly, early tonight, is this idea of having a moral quality, especially characterized by the the interest and the welfare of others. And how do we live that out? How do we play that out? How do we play that out in the church? The one on the uh, creed. Oh, that oh yeah, that, I can't remember the name of it either. Oh, really? Okay. We can. You, you know, it is it's been a busy whatever. But yeah, if if anybody else wants anybody wants to book see Larry, how's that? No? No bring them out. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I I gave one to some of you guys, but anybody who want I think I think I gave one to you. Um it'll when, when it's a tiny is a tiny little book. Yeah. So when Cindy's driving, uh, uh Bill can read it. Maybe not. Okay. Um Oh, was Uh yeah, that's all right. Right. Okay, so that would be that would be a good resource for this, but I, because I think, I think we have to start th- to think carefully is how does our morality remember our hope is is from how? Our hope is based on what, I should say our hope is based on whom? You just sang the hymn, didn't you? Uh, my hope is built yeah, yeah, so that's where you went. Well, I was thinking more verse 13, uh, your hope abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, because and, and it's okay that you thought that because he goes back to the Holy Spirit in verse sixteen. Um. But how do we how do we live that out? How do we play that out? how How do we live moral lives? Um, in such a way that is characterized by the interests of the welfare of others. And what about the person who doesn't eat meat? You felt you you. You erase, eat meat, and fill in the blank, wherever you want to put it. There's a lot to think about it, What what Paul is, I think, really saying here. And, and so um, you have this, this idea of goodness, and then you have this idea of knowledge, which I'm actually going to be able to spend a little more time on. This word in the Greek basically means a comprehension or intellectual grasp of something. The content of what is known um, or that which is known so it's knowledge that is knowledge I know something and knowledge I could say is found right here same the, the word uh, gave you two es- essentially slightly different definitions but it's the same word and it can be used either way just like in English right um, so it it, it in one of the one of the uh, dictionaries it says uh, uh, it's it's used to describe a person when they come to understand to an understanding as a result of ability to experience and learn i'm going to read that again because i'm going to go back into what i talked about earlier in relation to the holy spirit to come to an understanding as a result of ability to experience and to learn so part of your experience is intended to teach you isn't it and we because i think i think sometimes we we say well well we can learn everything we need to learn in the word of god is that true i i think that's true but i i don't know that that that's god's full purpose in the way that he teaches us. Follow me? You need to experience a lot of things in order to absorb it and know that it's a fact. Absolutely. You know, don't touch that stove, it'll hurt you. Right. Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. So we, it, sometimes we need that. Yeah. Or I need that. We all do, I think. Um,. Again, going back to verse 4, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning. Uh, we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. So, however you interpret your experience, and I'll go back to the hot stove, because I'll us a good example. When you put your hand on the hot stove, how did you interpret that? That's hot. You got your hand off real fast. I, I for some reason, I, re- I remember I was half asleep. I was probably fifth grade. And I was, I'd get up in the morning, have to make my own breakfast, right? Probably most of you did anyway, right? So, and and it was like I turned on a burner, and what? Did they have cocoa <laughs> no, we we didn't have cocoa. I turned on a burner, okay? And I was like, and I'm half asleep. So I'm thinking, which one did I turn on? Oh, there it is, you know. And, and uh, yeah, anyway, no, I didn't have Cocoa Puffs. Um, my mom wouldn't let me eat that stuff. I'll make you too hyper. Anyway, um, so, but this word is used, this idea of, of, of comprehending, uh, this idea of understanding as a result of the ability to experience and to learn from that experience. In in the book of John, chapter 3, Jesus is talking to whom? You guys remember? Nicodemus. And Nicodemus doesn't have any idea what Jesus is really talking about, although he's drawn to him. It's a really it's a fascinating conversation. And... Um, Jesus says to Nicodemus in verse 10 of chapter 3, you are a teacher in Israel, which Nicodemus was, you are a teacher in Israel and you don't understand these things. It's the same Greek word here that's translated uh, uh, knowledge. You don't understand these things. Um, Later on in the book of Luke, Luke 11, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. And he says, Luke eleven fifty two, 52, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering you hindered. You've taken away the key of knowledge. So what they did was they reframed their experience. So, and and why... Why would Jesus say that to the Sadducees and to the lawyers if, in fact, A, they had, they had done it, or if they hadn't done it? So, obviously, they had done it, right? But is it possible that part of why Jesus said that to them was because they short-circuited God's ability to speak to the hearts of the people? Yeah. Yeah. So to me now God God is a masterful has the masterful ability to do the end around. You know what I mean by the end around and and to go around the obstacle. But I I I I wonder you know what really prompted other than the fact that they were doing it was, you know, you look at the other side of this exchange. Was not God attempting to speak to the hearts of the people of Israel? Yeah, you taught... Um, how did Jesus say this? He said you had taught the laws of God, uh, the precepts of men as the laws of God. And, yeah, and that's, I think that's another... Uh, I think that's a good example, uh, Bill. Bill. Um because they didn't have the capacity exactly, because part of again going back to the definition here of the ability to experience and learn, part of our experience is in fact sitting down and reading, or we'll go with Bill, sitting down and being taught, right it's not it's not Remember the the, story, the, the the illustration I love to use, I like the Photoshop uh, one too as well, Harv, but the idea of the lecture in the lab for biology, and, and you kind of got the lecture here, but the lab is what, what the Lord does in your day-to-day lives, and, uh, and, and so I, I think both of those are things that we have the ability to experience and then to learn uh, and then to come to understand. Um, and, and notice, and boy, I read some of this where it says filled with all knowledge. What does that mean? What does all knowledge mean? What does it mean to be filled with all knowledge? Are you filled with all knowledge? A couple of commentators, one in particular said he's talking about all knowledge. I'm thinking, well, good luck. Right? I mean, how much is enough? Let's go back to the context here. How much is enough? Is that what yeah, but let's go to the context here. So let me, let me finish, let me fill them, let, let, me, let me bring this back to the verse. How much is enough to be able to instruct others? That's what I was talking about. They did, they did because they read, right? And they were able to read, okay? And, and I, I, you're absolutely right. Let's flip that around. 180 degrees, if we could. Because Paul is saying, I'm confident concerning you. Let's look at the, on the positive aspect on that. Because I'm confident concerning you, brethren and sisterin, that you are also, excuse me, you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to instruct one another. So in that context, or this context, um... How much is enough? Because the reality is, if you are f- full of goodness, you're not going to want to misuse power, right? I, th- I think if you have, it, it, I think there are times that I have conversations with people. I do this all the time. It's an occupational hazard. I go home and I analyze my own message. Bill, I want to get, I want to come back to you in a second because I, I saw that on your face. Okay, <laughs> anyway, um, well, maybe not, okay, but there are times I'm like, gosh, I should have said this and not have said that, you know, and, and uh, but I, I guess what I'm, what I'm really trying to bring out here is if we wait till we have all knowledge, we won't ever do anything. Because he's just told them in, in the beginning part of chapter fifteen, and in chapter fourteen, and this conversation, in my opinion, really begins in chapter twelve, verse one. I didn't think of that. I kind of like that, to be honest with you, Cindy. I think that's a that's a good observation. Yeah. Yes. Right. So it's all the knowledge that we need. I hate. I got. To, I've got to find another term. To I was going to say coexist, but I didn't say that. All right, because <laughs> I'm thinking of the bumper sticker. Okay, we're good. Uh, uh, so, but it, so it's all the knowledge that we need uh, to to fellowship. Is what you're saying. You can say that. No, I, 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 I kind of like that. I do. I that that makes a lot of sense based on the passage, which is how we primarily want to interpret this. Is in the so you get an A. Uh, so in the passage uh, that that we're looking at, and so with that, then um, to be able to admonish one another. Now, one another means. Both ways. It means both ways. So. You have to understand your context of the people that you're with. Okay. And. To realize that sometimes you need to speak into their lives. Sometimes they need to speak into yours. Um, it's a present tense verb also. Uh, well. Well. Not also, the other was a perfect tense, excuse me. But admonish is a present tense verb. Uh, an action that's in the process of being with no assessment of the completion. Remember that? It's kind of this ongoing action. Uh, this ongoing admonishment, if you will, to counsel or to avoid, uh, uh, or this, the idea, excuse me, to counsel, to counsel, um, it even can mean to counsel about what a person should avoid. Um, there's nobody here named John. Good. Hey, John's coming over. He better hide the beef. You know? It could be. That, 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 you know, that would fit in the word usage, the word definition here. Um, or somebody else is coming over let's let's put on the t bones right you know and so that that's that is works within the context um and but this idea of counseling or instructing because i think i think we do that and we do it with each other but to be careful of it now I don't want to deflate everything we've just talked about, so maybe I'm gonna say it anyway. <laughs> because I, I I know people who want to jump to the admonishment, but they don't concern themselves with knowledge. They're like a bull in a china shop. Okay, going back to this idea of understanding the, the context of of the of the the people that you deal with, they're in fellowship with, they're like a bull in a china shop. Um, they see, well, I, I, I don't want to go on a rant here. I think we'll just stay with the bull on a china shop. But I, I could, okay. I'll let your minds go with that. And they don't have, they're not concerned first and foremost with their own morality characterized with an interest of the welfare of others. And so if they're not, now, I, 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 I'm not talking about perfection here, but if someone is not ha, living a, a life of goodness that is characterized uh, by the welfare of others and, 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 and really don't even understand um, the people that they're dealing with because they can't even get out of their own world, they don't have any business admonishing, I'll use that word, in my opinion, admonishing others. And... None of you here. Exactly. They just happened to be at four eight four West Washington Suite C and D. But a long time ago. But that's just my thought. But I think that's part of what Paul is is telling us. That part of the idea of fellowship is that we are to instruct one another. But, and Jesus talked about this really plainly, didn't he? About the plank in your eye. Why do you work so hard to remove the mote or the speck in your brother's eye and you have a plank in your own eye? And so the, um, as I looked at this, and I'm going to finish. I'm not going to take that 10 minutes, Tim. Now, that's a little fast, okay? But, but it, it, it's what I talked about either Sunday or the last Wednesday, that, 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 that ministry is really, I think, intended for us. Ministry, whatever ministry it is, and in the context here is in the instructing of others. It, I think the Lord intends for our ministry to be an outflow of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. And it's led by the Holy Spirit. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. There are times that the Holy Spirit tells me to go instruct. There are times that the Holy Spirit tells me to shut my mouth. And sometimes quite literally tells me that. Not, I don't hear it. Okay, we're good. But I sense that the Holy Spirit's saying, stay out of it, stay out of it, right? Right? And, and, and so the ultimate ability for us to navigate Christian fellowship one with another is to be, first of all, submitted to the power of the Holy Spirit, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because I think we can always grow into a greater purity, morality, and we can always grow... With greater knowledge, because knowledge in and of itself is—it only takes us so far, right? It only takes us so far. Uh, we good with that one, Bill? Knowledge only takes us so far. What do you do with what you know? You know, and and if 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 you mismanage that, and I, I and I would even go back to this idea that. That goodness, which is one of what? Galatians chapter 5, where do you find goodness is one of the what? Fruit, singular, of the Spirit. So, how we handle what we know is really dependent upon our dependency of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That makes sense? Okay. Okay. Um, We're done.